Hello and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller written by or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Kenny-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In today's episode, we will be discussing the 2013 TV show, The Fall, starring Gillian Anderson and Jamie Dornan, written and directed by Alan Covet. To start us off, here's the synopsis. A seemingly cold but very passionate policewoman goes head-to-head with a seemingly passionate father who is in fact a cold serialist in this procedural out of Belfast. The only thing they share is their common complexity. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in-depth on every aspect of the plot and the mystery, so if you care about that, go watch the episode and then come back. We'll be waiting. This episode also features trigger warnings for violence and graphic imagery. So we're talking about the fall this week. How did you come to find the show? Well, first, we got a copy of it in at the used bookstore that I work for, and my boss, who knows that I love mysteries, said, have you seen this one? And I said, no. And she said, oh, you need to watch it. When I was putting off editing our last episode, I saw that it was on Netflix, and I thought, ooh, let me watch the first episode of this. And then I asked you if you'd seen it. And I had seen it, but I forgot about it completely because I watched it probably three or four years ago, whenever it first came out on Netflix. Completely forgot I saw it. And then remembered that it was kind of cool, and then I couldn't remember why I stopped watching it. So I thought it made sense to go back and revisit it. And you were much more impressed by it this time? I was impressed by it the first time. I really don't know why I stopped watching it. The only thing I can think of, there was a time when Netflix was just getting inundated with new content. And it still does, but there was a time where it went from a few things to all the things. And I think when I started watching The Fall was around that time. So I was kind of like a kid in the candy store. So I was like, ooh, The Fall, Happy Valley, this other thing, this thing. And I just was skipping around from show to show. So I think The Fall was just a victim of that. It couldn't have been that you started watching Buffy and forgot that everything else in the world existed, was it? No, that didn't happen. I don't remember when that happened. But normally I go through a yearly Buffy binge. And it just, my Buffy binge has lasted about six months this year. (laughs) You you can't remember a time before Buffy? A time before Buffy, BB. I don't remember that. I was talking to a girl at work uh, about Doctor Who, and she said that she tried to watch Doctor Who, but it was in the middle of when she was first watching Buffy, and so she didn't give it a chance because she was just so mad that she wasn't watching Buffy. Literally. Once you start watching the show, because just for the record, Laura has not watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer at all. When you start watching this show, you are going to be obsessed. It is so awesome. This is the second podcast in a row that I have talked about my Buffy fandom. And I don't know why, but I have... Like, every time somebody says, you need to watch Buffy, I get this clenching inside me that's like, I will not watch Buffy. You need to explore your body compass, girl, because I'm telling you, this is going to be like sync or every other thing that you said that I liked when I was a kid was stupid, and then you figured it out that it was awesome, and then it became your thing. This is going to be the next thing. You're going to be a bigger Buffy fan than I am. I call it right now. So let's talk about the fall. Let's talk about the fall. <laughs> and enough, not Buffy. Enough about our Buffy podcast. Let's talk about the fall. This isn't Slayer Fest 98. So the fall is set in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. Belfast. So you know me. I love me my British murder TV shows. Well, I just think there's something to be said about UK television. It's just kind of a cut above anything you see in the States. And that's not to sound like an ass, but there's just a level of quality. They take their time a lot more than I see in American shows. And so we're kind of trained 
that we're going to get all the information like right away with the TV shows that we have here in the States. And then when you, it's, it's a huge shock when you go and watch another show from UK or another place that really takes time to build the story. And so this first pilot episode of the fall, the first episode really kind of does that. It's a lot of story building, not a lot happens, but it's just setting every piece into play. One thing I think American television has a problem with is the 22 episode season. It's too much. From what I've heard from TV writers is that, you know, you have your break, you come back, and you've got all these great ideas for the first part of the season. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of the season, after everybody's tired, you've been, you know, pulling all-nighters for months, the story starts to suffer. And then you get to the end of the season, and you're like, oh, man, we got to make this good. We don't want to get canceled. Well, yeah, because you, you go into sweeps. And then the storytelling starts picking back up again. So there's, like... The beginning is great. There's a lull in the middle, and then you pick back up at the end. And you can tell that there's a lot of shows you can really see that, the quality dip. Whereas in the UK, unless it's a long-running season like one of their soap operas or something, they tend to be a lot shorter seasons, sometimes even just like three episodes. Yeah, well, you saw that with Sherlock with BBC. Um, This show has three series right now because they call them series, not seasons, FYI. Um, This show has three series currently, and it has a total of 17 episodes. That's not even a full American season for regular, what do you call that? Network television. Network television. I'm not blaming any of the American television writers. No, it's, it's it's the name of the game. It's the nature of the beast here. And it's just our system, how it goes. And when you only have seven episodes to tell your story, you can't risk having a bad one. You've got to plan it and really make sure that your story is tight and plus you know your writers and your actors and your crew are not so exhausted from having this marathon for months well I think it goes I think it really shows what priority is and I think a lot of networks the priority is money and not saying that that's not the case in in the UK or, or anywhere else quality really seems to be at the forefront as well and sometimes I see quality and content take a backseat with a lot of American TV shows because you just, you want to get people hooked. So they'll buy merchandise or they'll buy TV series on iTunes or on DVD if people still do that. But like the focus is like, how can we make this make money and not what actually are we putting out? And to be fair, the stuff that we end up seeing here in the States is probably the cream of the crop stuff. Oh, there's some bad stuff. I've seen, I've seen some bad So that doesn't make it to us. So we can't judge and say, oh, all UK TV is amazing. Yeah, which is essentially what I said a little bit ago, but it's not true. There's crap everywhere. Yeah, just like they don't end up seeing the worst of our stuff because it doesn't last long enough to make it over there. Well, and I mean, it's a subjective thing, too. It's like something that we can consider great television or a great work of film. Someone else is going to look at this and be like, this is crap. Why would anyone watch this? Take whatever I say personally with a grain of salt. Okay, so let's start. Let's start this episode. So the first scene, the opening scene that we see is Gillian Anderson in her pajamas with a face mask on. Hair is kind of tussled and thrown up somehow, and she's cleaning her bathroom, her bathtub. <laughs> Which the first time I watched it, I was like, "I this is a really weird place to start. I don't know why they're doing this." Yeah, it felt very abrupt. 
initially. And just like, why are you wasting film on this? I mean, she was great. She was really doing what she was really doing. And so it, it was watching it wasn't boring. No. But it just seemed like, what does this have to do with anything? And I think going back, because in the synopsis, it talks about a seemingly cold detective who is very passionate, is going after this serial killer who is a seemingly passionate family man, but he is actually a cold-blooded killer. So I think what it's kind of establishing is they're both hunters in a way, and you're seeing the hunt from different perspectives. So it's kind of showing how she prepares for the hunt. And then we go the next scene, which I'm skipping a little bit ahead, shows how he prepares for the hunt, which when he's finding a victim, her hunt is preparing for the case. She's about to leave on a trip to go to Ireland. She's in England now. She's going to be going to Ireland to do a 28-day audit on an investigation there that's gone on too long to make sure that the police work is effective. It's not because of shoddy police work. So she's preparing to do that. So she's like looking at all of her casework and things like that. But then this is also letting us see her, the real her, and not the person she is when she is in her DSI mode. She's more soft and vulnerable in this scene than we see her when she's interacting with anyone else because that doesn't service her job. And then the next scene when we see Jamie Dornan's character, Paul Spector, going through and kind of mapping out his victim's home and leaving this message, this warning for her or whatever to scare her we get to see who he really is where it's he puts on this face of this family man this bereavement counselor and really and truly he's the cold-blooded killer but but she also and i think this is something as women we realize that a part of ourselves when we are especially when we're in a male-dominated field doesn't service the job it doesn't serve her to be vulnerable or soft or Not saying she isn't that because she is that in the beginning, but that doesn't serve her when she's working in a male-dominated field because that can be preyed upon by someone else looking to get a leg up. So when we see her, it's a very different person that we see coming out of the airport. She's got the, she is, she's ready. She's got her mask on. She steeled herself and she's there for business and she's there to win. But we also see him, you know, the cold-blooded killer. He's mapping out, because he's mapping out how he's going to start psychologically messing with. And he's also learning the layout of the house as well. But then the next scene that we see him in is him... With his son. With his son. One of the cutest children I've ever seen. Also, that kid is a a police detective in the making, because he's like, we have aspirin, dad. We have headache medicine. You weren't gone for a little while. You were gone a long time. I called you. Where were you? Like, this kid has the jump on this guy. He yeah. knows. I love this kid. <laughs> but that's that's him, too. He loves his children. And he's a sadistic, awful, murdering scumbag. I mean, because we haven't watched all the way through yet. Does he love the children? Or is it a, a thing? Because I know Jamie Dornan watched a lot of Dexter in preparation for what I think is this role. He never confirmed what role it was, but he said that he was watching Dexter a lot for a certain role. So I don't know if it was for this or Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know. But it's like, does he actually love the children or does he just understand that it makes sense to build a relationship with the children to deepen his cover? Well, either way, he's really good with his kids. Yeah, but if he was a sociopath covering his trails, 
it's like he would be really good because sociopaths are master man- manipulators. Maybe he loves them in, in, in the way that he can. Stop trying to make love happen, Lara. It's not going to happen. I love that kid. No, He's the so kid's cute. great. The kid's totally sweet and deserving of love. I'm just saying that a sociopath couldn't. That's true. They don't have that, <laughs> that ability. It is funny. We were watching this episode with our friend and he made a comment, something about Dexter. So if he watched Dexter in preparation for this role. Which Dexter was great with his girl girlfriend's kids but he felt nothing i've never seen dexter oh well (laughs) you know they pick her up from the airport she is i mean she's just gorgeous and the way she dresses herself just plays upon this which i think also helps her in her job you know studies have shown that pretty people get different treatment than people that are perceived as not quite so attractive well and i think maybe taking pretty versus not pretty out of it she knows the way she dresses is going to affect how people treat her it behooves her to be put together but also not to be any type of certain way it's very clean cut efficient and no nonsense and that's that's what and that's what you get it's like she she is put together she is polished but not exceedingly so it's it's just enough for her to look the part And the choice of clothing, you know, white shirt, black suit. I've often wondered why you still see a lot of women in the police force, especially like the detectives. And this may not be in real life. This may just be in the TV portrayals, wear skirt suits instead of pantsuits. Yeah, and I think, I I can't speak to other ones because I don't know, but in this one, when she's in the car after they pick her up from the airport and she's talking to Burns, I can't remember his, his title in the police force, or what he does, but um, he picks her up from the airport, and basically he's like, it, everything works a little bit different here, and she goes, oh, because of that, oh, my Jesus is better than your Jesus crap, or whatever, and so I think she's very, she's keenly aware that Ireland is a little bit different from London, or from England. She may just be more comfortable in a skirt. That may be more of a, a choice that women make in the police force. I don't know. I really don't think it matters. It doesn't, but as a costumer, I think a lot about the choices of costumes and why people wear certain things. So that's it's probably a preference. It's probably a character's preference. She may she may like the way that looks better aesthetically. That is a great answer. I just it was one of the things that I was thinking about. And so she comes in right away. She's meeting with the lead detective and she just tells him, I need all of your stuff. Yep. Rightfully so, I think anybody who's getting audited by any higher ups, especially if they, you know, brought them over from another place. Oh yeah, he's deer in headlights. He is just like, here's my stuff, please don't hurt me. And I love that. Well, I love that she comes in and the guy that brought her, that picked her up from the airport is like, can I get you anything? And she's like, is that coffee? And they're like, oh, you know, it, it passes for that. She goes, I'll risk a cup. But basically she's having these dudes get her coffee. And I'm just like, yes. Yes. Risk a cup of coffee. Have the man bring you coffee, bitch. I love it. I hadn't even thought about that. That's an amazing point. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Yeah, because it's always the women who have to go get the coffee, and she's having the dude go get the coffee for her. No, I love that. And Gillian Anderson has spoken and said that Stella Gibson is probably her favorite character she's ever played. From the jump, like the first time that I watched this episode, I was enamored with this character because she is every woman. It is all in her. Sorry, yeah. not to not to quote the song, but also to quote the song. She kind of is everything that I I, I want to see in entertainment. As far as the pilot goes, we need to go on to see 
exactly what happens with her character, what unfolds. Initially, she is doing an amazing job with this role. I love the character. It's so complex because watching it over from the beginning and seeing her in the beginning and seeing like her a little bit more dressed down and just kind of living her life and then seeing her go into this this detective role was really fascinating because it's like, yeah, it's like the people we are at home by ourselves are not who we present to the world. But especially as a woman in a male-dominated field, it's like you're going to be one way doing your mask at home and then you're going to be another way when you're dealing with all these men. Well, and there's a scene later on where she's just reviewing some case files and she's eating this humongous hamburger. Yeah, and, and I, a huge glass of red wine. Yeah, and I remember when I watched it for the first time, she picks up this hamburger and I'm just like, oh, I want a hamburger. And she just doesn't care. You know, she's not eating a salad or something dainty. She's just chowing down on this drippy, huge hamburger. Yes. And I was just like, yes. Like giant, like red meat, red wine. I'm going to catch the bad guy. Yeah. And then later on, we do see her eat a salad because, you know, you got to get your greens in. But, well, yeah, greens are important. Healthy. One thing I did want to mention is a lot of the characters are named after guitars. Really? Stella Gibson. And I know this partly because my husband's a musician and then partly because I looked it up. But St- Stella and Gibson. Stella is a model of guitar and Gibson is a guitar maker. Then Paul Spector, who's the name of the serial killer, um, is named after a Les Paul guitar. And then the Spector guitar. Um, and then there's a couple other different ones. So that's fun. So go look at like the character names and see what, what guitars you can find. And also every title of every episode are lines borrowed from John Milton's Paradise Lost. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you know why the title of this series is The Fall? I don't. Because I'm very curious about that. I think The Fall, just initially, what I gather from the episode or what I gather from the series, it's the fall of this serial killer. He, he, I mean, he seems like a relatively new at what he's doing. He's kind of started up. He has a few kills under his belt. And now we are going to see his fall. And his startup killing company. His startup killing company murders are us. He's looking for investors. I mean, talk about having passion for your work. He really loves what he does. Well, that wasn't murder. (laughs) That's the thing I was thinking about when I was watching this is I do not have the time or the patience to be a serial killer. Well, because not only is he a serial killer, let's just talk about how awesome he is. No, but but it's like he's a bereavement counselor. He's a father of two. He's a husband. It's like guy has a lot going on and he also has to maintain this cover of a good guy. I, I mean, it's a lot of work to be bad. All while spending hours stalking people and, you know, drawing in his little murder notebook. And I just don't have the time for that. I mean, I don't. It's like you really have to have a passion for what you do. I will not be out killing anybody just so that y'all can feel safer. I mean, I feel safer already. Good. Oh, also, did you know Jamie Dornan is originally from Belfast? Oh, no, I didn't know that. So a little bit of insight he could bring to his character because he is from that area. I feel like he's a really good choice because he's a very pretty person. Yeah. But he's not he, he's not too he's, good looking. He's ruggedly handsome. He's not like that clean cut, like, whoa, you are really pretty. He's more, it's a rugged, handsome sort of thing. I do find it funny because the woman that he's married to in the show, she's gorgeous, but it seems like an odd pairing. And I just wonder if that kind of leans into maybe he is a sociopath and it doesn't really matter what the person looks like. He just needs a cover. Kind of an interesting, but I, I love the woman that plays his wife. She's she's brilliant. 
And she's a good person, you know, she's a... Oh, no, she's she's a very good person. She does not deserve any of this. But, but yeah, they just, they don't look like they go together. Okay, and then we can talk about Sarah Kay, who is the um, intended victim. We go through, we see Stella Gibson kind of at home preparing for the hunt. We see Paul Spector in what we now know as Sarah Kay's home, going through her things, setting up this tableau for her to walk in on later and then we see her in the bar and she's kind of flirting with this colleague and talking about wants versus desires and all these things and she's a solicitor she's very busy she has a very high pressure case that she's working on so she comes home she finds this this setup that Paul Spector has left her and it involves lingerie and maybe an adult toy and a few other things and she is freaked out so she like locks she's smart she immediately locks herself in the bathroom or the bedroom and she's like i'm calling the police calls the police they come over investigate really love the redhead the police officer can't remember her name i can't remember it either but i love her because it's like she's asking her these very direct personal questions like is that yours did you like leave this adult toy and this laundry out of the bed but she doesn't shy away from it she's just very matter of fact about it and have you been drinking? How much have you been drinking? But I never feel like she's trying to say it's her fault. I do think that the other police officer that's with her, which is kind of this bumbling guy, suggesting that her cat got the stuff out and like dragged it onto the bed. And the look that this redheaded cop gives him is just like, guy, I'm questioning her because this is my job, but I don't think the cat did it. Yeah, because it's not like her underwear was just on the bed. It was it set was, up. Yeah, perfectly laid out, positioned. So yeah. There was um, pantyhose like stuffed in the cups of the bra to fill them out. Her vibrator was underneath the underwear so it's like this would have had to be a very meticulous detailed cat yeah i want to meet the cat i don't want to meet that cat (laughs) that cat will be a serial killer because cats are already little serial killers if they could do all of that so no i don't want to meet that cat that cat can stay there but what what really struck me though is after all of this after she stumbles upon finding out that someone was in her home got her underwear out set it up was going through her things took underwear she stays in her home and doesn't go to stay with somebody. There is not any situation on earth where I would stay in a place. I would stay in an apartment or a home that I lived in if I knew someone had just broken in. Especially if my sister was close by, which her seems yeah. to be. Yeah. No, I would have been calling you going, I need you to come get me right now. Which I mean, she probably, it was probably a thing of that. I think there's this thing because she, like the police officer obviously... No, she's been drinking. So it's like she doesn't want to appear almost over dramatic or like she's making a mountain out of a molehill. She's like, okay, well, obviously all of this embarrassing stuff has already happened. I just want to go to sleep. I'm just tired of people standing around and making assumptions about my life. So just get out of my house. I got to do. Yeah. She also got a call from a client and she has to go in on Saturday the next morning to do work on this case. And he was really mean to her on the phone. So... She's just got all this on her. Well, yeah, and I think the the priority isn't even safety at that point. Like, it's just like, okay, I've been humiliated. I've had all this stuff happen. I just want to go to bed. But I just don't think that there's any situation where I would stay in a place like that. For whatever reason, she decides to stay, which is fine because this whole time in the beginning when it's setting up and he's in the, when he's in the home, you think that she's going to die that night. But it's 
all just set up to scare her. And he leaves. Like, he goes back home. He has his little murder bundle that he, or his murder backpack with all of his stuff that he's stolen from her apartment and whatever else. And he actually hides it in his daughter's room. While his daughter is sleeping, he, like, puts it in the ceiling. It's just like, what if the kid woke up? That's a really, like, shaky plan. And then later on, we find out that the little girl's having night terrors and she's drawing really disturbing things at school and saying really disturbing things. What it made me think of is that this if this guy is a relatively new serial killer, the effects haven't shown yet on the family or they haven't started to take their toll yet. So I think what we're seeing in this at the beginning episode is the effect of this darkness that he's bringing into his home the toll that it's starting to take on his family. And the little girl is the first person to really feel that. What we find out through the course of the 28-day audit is that there was another murder that was very similar to the one that they're investigating, but not quite the same. There are some differences. There's and a little more haphazard, kind of chaotic, not as organized. Stella sees the similarities. She's like, okay, well, this just kind of seems like he, like this killer didn't know what they were doing, but like they, they correlate. There's things that are, that are tying them together, but one manner was a little bit more haphazard than the other. But the victims look extremely similar. They could be sisters. And so she sees these similarities right off the bat, but people aren't so quick to believe her. Well, she takes it to the guy that she's reporting to and tells him all this information and, you know, presents the case, which makes a lot of sense to me. And he tells her, I don't want you to find a connection between these two. Yeah, because it's like from the jump, I don't know what it is with him, but he, he looks really, he's really stressed. She's there to do a job. He wants her to do the job only if it results the way that he wants it to. Which we don't know what that is yet. But we know it's not a serial killer. Because you can't just say, oh, I don't want there to be a serial killer and it not be a serial killer. But the simil- the the differences were like, so this one murder Gibson is investigating is Alice Monroe, right? Mm-hmm. And she's she was strangled. It sounds awful. She was strangled like over the period of like an hour, like him squeezing, almost killing her, letting go. So he did this for an hour until he finally killed her. After that, he stages her body. She almost looks like a statue, like a, a exhibit or something. She's just perfectly staged her body. She's naked and kind of splayed out on the bed. And the other girl, I think she was strangled too, but she was kind of stuffed in a closet. What they assume with that was the boyfriend came home and interrupted him, and so he stuffed her in the closet, and the murderer might have even still been in the apartment when the boyfriend found her. Which is so scary because it's like he had no interest in killing, just killing. He only wants specific targets, specific victims that fit this fit this mo- model for him for whatever reason. And so Sarah Kay, the girl that is currently being... Looks just like these girls. In the 30s, professional white woman with brown hair light skin dark hair professional job point out this is another thing i really like about jillian anderson anderson's character Stella. this is a kind of take charge take what i want kind of woman or if i see something that i want i'm going to get it because she's literally in the back of a squad car and the little redheaded or i don't mean it in a dimin- diminishing way but the redheaded policewoman from the crime scene at sarah k's house is driving her around the squad car and they pass by a crime scene and Stella sees this very attractive police officer working the case. Has no business being there. And so she's like, pull over, introduce us. Because she was like, who is that? And she goes, oh, well, he's so James Olsen, I think was his name. And um, she's like, oh, introduce us. Walks right up to him and says, hi, I'm from out of town. I'm working a case. I'm staying at this hotel in this room. I'll see you later. 
And he does show up later. You don't see that done in TV a lot without like a lot of repercussions because of the inherent sex is bad and you will die sort of undertone that we see a lot in American television or like, oh, that makes you a slut or whatever. She was kind of just like, hey, you're cute. I'm cute. I'm in town. What's up? I just, I really liked how that was just portrayed as what it was and it was, there was no connotation put on it. A strong woman in control of her sexuality. It was so refreshing to see that. I was trying to find the character name of the the redheaded cop. Oh, let me see. She's really good. I she's really good because it's like this thing that's so common in actors from Britain and UK is just they say everything without saying anything. They use the text of the script, but they convey everything else with themselves. And I love that because you know exactly what she's thinking. You know exactly when she's questioning Sarah Kay, you know exactly where she's going with that. And I just really appreciate how well-rounded it was because you know exactly how she's feeling and she's really doing it. Well, one important point that we hadn't talked about yet was when she goes to ask for a ride to her hotel, she tells the officers in, I guess they're in kind of like a break room or something, that she wants to know about every break-in case where valuables were ignored but underwear was taken, which dings a little bell in the head of this officer because, you know, they just investigated this break-in at Sarah Kay's place. She tells her partner, we need to go check on her again. Yeah, she does. Okay, her name is Neve McGrady. After they drop her off at the hotel, they drive back over to Sarah Kay's place to check on her. Which is really a testament to the police work done by this officer. And I'm trying to find her character name. I found her real name, but I didn't find her character name. Let me see if I can find it. Danielle Farrington. PC Danielle Farrington. Okay, so they drive back over to Sarah Kay's place to check on her. And they're looking around and they see no signs of break-in. But this... this officer just has a feeling yeah so they call her she farrington calls yeah. her goes to voicemail and she's like hi you know miss k i'm outside your house if you're here please let us know it's the police and then it pan or it cuts to inside the home and paul specter's there with sarah k hands over her mouth she's screaming as loud as she can with like, her mouth uh, covered it's like that whole scene gives me such anxiety because it's like help is so close so it gives you this really terrible feeling of it's just out of reach like if she could just like put her hand up they could see it in the window or something she could have been saved and there's nothing to indicate to them that anything is wrong nothing so they drive away yeah and that's where the episode ends of course we haven't talked about the actual break-in part before that just to let y'all know she did have this window in her basement blocked with like a board that should have kept it from being opened but he still got in that he, way he like shook it was able to like shake the window pane to make the little board like move up and out so that he could open it and then when the police officers went down to the basement to check it initially he had already replaced it and set reset it so that it nothing looked out of place or tampered with. And she did get her locks changed on the front. And this was where I was like, wow, he's really taking this to the next level. Like, this is why he's so good at what he does. This is why they don't have any information on him and why they haven't caught him. is because he's literally stalking her in her day-to-day life. So she goes to meet her sister at these gardens somewhere. And 
she's talking with her sister and, and he's there with his daughter and he is multitasking. He is listening with one ear to this conversation that his victim's having with her sister. And in the other ear, he's listening to his daughter talk and answering her little questions while sitting right next to her, never appearing suspicious at all. So she's telling her sister, oh, I was able to get the doors, the locks changed on the doors. Well, the front doors, the back doors um, had a problem. So they're still the same. So literally he's getting all of this, this information. So he knows that he's going to be able to get in. No Again, problem. No problem. Because it does show him, because he's like, he, like we've said it before, he stalks her fully and he drives by the house. He sees the locksmiths. And so I feel like he's kind of like looking at that. I don't know if he's planned for that initially, essentially, or if it's kind of like, okay, well, she's doing this right away. Okay. Let me think about how to get, like, figure this out. And then he even stalks her in the bar in the city center where she goes to have a drink after work. I realized on the second watching, that's a different woman. That's a different woman? That's a that's his next victim because he knocks her. Are you sure? Yeah, because I what? thought she looked a little different. I'm terrible. I. <laughs> he knocks her wallet or purse off of the bar and yeah. steals her ID. That's his next victim. Who is that? I don't know. Who is she? Because I think I noticed too that the name on the ID was different but i only what noticed that the second time i thought that that was that he was stalking her again he's at the bar with his wife and his friends oh yeah because the, the husband's saying the husband of the friend saying something and he goes it's your own fault for getting caught you should have destroyed the evidence and it's like wow we have just been like let in on his methodology yeah and so he goes up to the bar to get another round for everybody and sees this woman there, fits the description, dressed in a business suit, brown hair. Yeah, knocks her wallet off the bar and steals her ID. I am shook. I am shooketh, excuse me for saying that. But I thought that he was just continuously stalking. Because I thought that when he takes off his mask when he's in the room with her in the end, I thought she recognized him. But there was no recognition. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, somebody let me know. We need to go back and rewatch this. There are But I'm pretty sure that that was his next victim. Well, I have the episode queued up so we can just go and watch it and see. That throws me for a roll. But he does. He takes, when he has Sarah pinned down in her room, he takes his mask off, which... As anybody who is a fan of crime knows, if you see their face, you know you're not going to make it out of you're there. You're most likely not going to make it out unless you figure it out real quick. But he already... It's so... It's so disturbing, that scene, because you like her. They really grow to make you like her because you follow her throughout this episode. So it really makes you feel like maybe she's going to be a more integral part. And she's a victim. You know, when she is caught and you know she's not going to make it, it it's really startling and disturbing and unsettling that they would do that to just a character that they've made you love. Well, that's a testament to both the writing and the actress because that could have been a part that... It could have been a throwaway part. Yeah, a part that you didn't feel so deeply about, but you do care about her. What's the saying? There are no small parts, only small actors. Which I don't know. Someone could probably prove me wrong on that one. But I think that that's... It's these kind of roles that make sense with make that make sense because she does the most and literally you are rooting for her until the very end, which just, yeah, it sucks because you don't root for him, but you're kind of fascinated by him. And I don't like, cause I feel like they try to humanize him in some ways. And maybe that's not 
their intended objective. But I found myself getting really agitated watching this because they would show him interacting with his kids and being like a good dad or whatever. I would get mad and just think, don't humanize him. He's a sadistic murderer. He's taking away people's lives. No, I don't want to see him being a good dad. He's an asshole. I don't know if that was their what they're intending to do. I don't know. Maybe they were just trying to show the levels that he was willing to go to keep himself in hiding. This idea that we hear about so much, but I don't think is really ever accurately portrayed in television and stuff where they go, he was such a nice guy. I never would have guessed that he would do something like this. Yeah, yeah. Because usually in other shows like this, even when they're being kind of like a normal person, you still see that evil coming through. Or Well, a lot of times, because something that, that this show does differently is like, you know who, who done it immediately. That's not the mystery. The mystery is how... How they catch him. Well, oh, no, how it's going to end. Yeah. Like, will they catch him? Will they not catch him? That's true. We, we don't know. So it's kind of, that's kind of the mystery, the overarching mystery of this show. Because most of the time you get a bunch of people, like take How to Get Away with Murder, for instance. Very different show. But it's like, you know that these murders or that these things have taken place, but you're like, who did it? And so you're looking at all these seemingly normal people that shouldn't ever be considered murderers, but you're looking at them wondering which one did it. And this one, you know who did it. And then you're watching how he, he keeps his cover. I think what you're saying is like, the oh, he was such a nice guy. We never would have suspected that or whatever. It's kind of taking that and flipping it a little bit because you're like, oh, well, this is how. I think my thought leaving this is, A, I'm incredibly interested to continue watching. We watched the second episode, so I was about to start. I kind of was what didn't realize that that episode ended there because I just got kept watching. So I was about to go, that, the second episode was about to bleed into this one, but it makes me incredibly intrigued and interested to continue watching. A very quality show, really well done. I can see why Gillian Anderson really loves this role of Stella Gibson because she's everything you always wish you see in a character that's a woman. There, there, There's so many other little nuances and intricacies about the role and I just really appreciate the different levels that she brings because I don't because it may have been a completely different role had someone else taken that but I really appreciate what Gillian Anderson does with the role what's your grade for this pilot diversity is kind of lacking and I would like to see I mean Gillian Anderson is an executive producer on the show now I don't know if she was initially I would like to see more representation in the crew because I was kind of looking through the IMDb cast and the casting, there were women and there were some female ADs. And I didn't look through everything completely, but directors are all men, created by a man, written by a man. I would love to see more women and more people of color kind of in the cast because you really, they, you didn't get a lot of that. So for that, I'll have to take a little off. That was an issue. I would give this an A+. plus. It's an excellent, excellent pilot. Very well done indeed. Probably give it an A-. minus. I would agree with that. It's it's so good. It's one of those that you end the episode and you immediately want to start watching the next episode. Yes. But I do have the same issue with you. But otherwise, it's solid writing. The acting's phenomenal. Does it pass the Bechtel test? Yes, I think it does. I think it does too. Because they're talking about a man, but it's not like in a romantic way. Because I kind of modified the Bechtel test a little bit for 
me and instead of just about a man i usually say about a romantic partner they are talking about a man but well to be fair they don't know if it's a man or a woman yet they just know it's a that is true they probably assume it's a dude but so yeah we'll say this passes the back doll okay yeah but i think more importantly i think it's showing complexity of different women and and the strength of different women because i mean we really didn't touch on there are a lot of great roles for women throughout this episode pc barrington is great um Stella Gibson's great. Sarah Kay is great. The the wife of Paul Spector is great. What is her name? Even Sarah Kay's sister, who has just a small part, is you, you get a lot from just her small interaction with her at the park. Nothing is wasted in this episode. No, there is no, oh, we're just casting her. Sally Ann Spector is the wife. And I really, I love her role because there's such a richness to every character in this. I find myself finding most richness from the female cast because the men are great but they aren't what makes me stay we didn't even talk about the woman in the grief counseling session oh my god that monologue that she gives i knew that there was because this was in my notes it's somewhere but yeah that whole monologue and the way that her and the man playing her husband play off of each other is brilliant because Spectre's so detached in that scene because he's creepily drawing her naked on her file. Like, looking like he's making notes, but he's drawing this woman who's grieving for her child that died. He's drawing her naked. But I just, I found the way that they worked off each other and just this grief, this over, like, whelming, encompassing sense of grief that she portrays. It was so visceral and fully multidimensional. And the fact that they let her be the one to have dominance in that scene oh yeah calling her husband a waste of space and he's just kind of sitting there taking it instead of so often in counseling scenes it's the husband complaining about the wife yeah they're exploring her grief yeah they're yeah they're letting her fully live in that and explore it and i find that with this series even though it's create and i mean we can probably go through this series and find a lot of more problems but just in this initial episode like i said before the men do a great job but they aren't what makes me stay this is why you watch a red carpet you watch it to see what the women are going to do you never watch it for the tuxedos you know what i mean and that's kind of what it is it's like they're doing fine they're doing their job whatever the richness and the complexity of the women and in whatever capacity or how essential their role is you have everything it's a well-rounded fleshed out character that really keeps you watching so i applaud the creator of this show for what he did with bringing to life that and then the amazing performances of these actresses yeah so far yeah pilot great just need to need to make it more diverse do you have a recommendation I'm the worst with recommendations because I can't put two and two together sometimes and be like, oh, a theme. A lot of reviews that I was reading about this show online were equating it with Prime Suspect, which I have just learned was a role that shot Helen Mirren to fame. So I'd be very interested to go watch that. So I think I'm going to give a recommendation for our listeners as well for myself, which is to explore Prime Suspect. Well, we've never had this problem before where our recommendations are the same thing because that was going to be my recommendation. Oh, this is why we should talk. So I will come up with another recommendation off the top of my head real quick. It's something that I'd like you to watch and who knows, may end up in an episode one time. Let me get my pen. Hear the click. There's only one season of it or one series of it out so far. It's called Acceptable Risk. And it follows a woman 
who has recently lost her husband. He is murdered in the pilot episode. Murdered? And that's not giving anything away. You find that out right away. (laughs) Not a spoiler. Yeah. It is her investigation into what happened to him, why he was killed, the company that she was working for when she met him that he currently is working for. You know, is there corruption there? Is there a problem? She's in Ireland. He's killed in Canada. What happened? And it delves into issues of with her and her sister and how do her children handle this because her first husband also died. So she's now a widow twice. Again, very focused on the women in this story and their portrayals are just captivating in it. It's funny. I was watching it and I told my parents, I said, you should, this is really good. You should watch this. And they ended up binging the whole thing in one night. They just, after they finished it, they were like, that was really good. Parents don't usually say that about things. So I was, I was happy to provide them with something that they enjoyed. Well, the listeners and I will make sure to check that out. And that brings us to the end of episode 10. Are we really at at number 10? Episode 10. Wow. That is just incredible. Just to let you guys know, Lacey won't be joining us on the next one. She's got a, a very stressful time coming up soon. Just one very, very busy week, and it just happens to be a recording week, so you will have to miss my beautiful, melodious voice and enjoy the vocal stylings of another guest who is yet to be determined. Or maybe Laura will just sit in a closet and talk by herself for an hour. I'll just read to you. Oh my gosh, I would listen to that. So, yeah, we'll be back. We don't know what our next episode is yet. So send us suggestions. Yeah, we'd love to hear what y'all are reading over this holiday season. Laura, where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Canon Laura and the letter C. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Lacey, L-A-C-E-Y, C Gonzalez with an S at the end. And on Instagram, you can find me at Leading Lacey. Lacey spelled L-A-C-E-Y. There's a new podcast that I am very, very excited about and I've started listening to. They only have two episodes up, but it's called Unlikable Female Characters. Awesome. And they just talk about their favorite and their least favorite. Um, I'm using air quotations. Unlikable female characters. What in case you call that? The uh, podcasting, the visual medium. (laughs) Yeah. Because some of their unlikable female characters, I was talking to people at work about this, are actually characters, you know, that we really love, but they're just deemed unlikable by society because they don't fit into the norms of what people think women should act like. Like Ursula and Little Mermaid. Exactly. Love her. Oh, But she's terrible. Um, I mean, every villain is the hero of their own story. Exactly. Wednesday Adams was one that they talked (gasps) about. Oh my God, I love Wednesday Adams. And so, um, but then there are also unlikable female characters that you really don't like. Oh yeah, you're not supposed to like them. Or just because they annoy you or something like that. And so that's the first episode. They talk about that and then they interview an author about her mystery book and the unlikable female characters in it and feedback that she's gotten. And it's just really interesting. And it's hosted by three female mystery writers So go and check that out. And I think that's it. Everyone say bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. To keep up with us, please follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a suggestion or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemmespodcast at gmail.com. 
While you're at it, make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode because if you didn't, we'll find you. Thanks for listening.